I want to continue today our series of messages. It's called Live Pentecost. We had we'd actually scheduled another series of messages to begin in the month of May. And the Holy Spirit just spoke to me so clearly that I want you to activate, listen to me closely, I want you to activate the spirit of Pentecost in this house. Not just, not just tell people about the Holy Spirit, but actually activate the spirit of what happened because of Pentecost. So that it becomes more than a date on a calendar or a historical event or maybe even an experience that you had at some point in time in your life, but that you actually live out the spirit of Pentecost. Listen to me closely. If you're taking notes, you go and write this down. The spirit of Pentecost is heaven's answer to the spirit of the age. The spirit of Pentecost is the answer, heaven's answer, to the spirit of the age. Heaven responds by releasing the spirit of God into the earth. Every time the spirit of the age begins to go chaotic or begins to move away from the things of God, God doesn't withdraw. He actually infuses himself into the middle of it. Genesis 1, when the earth was without form and void, when it was chaotic, the Bible says that the Spirit of God was hovering. God put himself in the midst of chaotic situations. So the Spirit of Pentecost becomes heaven's response to the Spirit of the age. And I want to talk to you today about the reality. I'm sure, I'm sure most of you didn't get up this morning and go to Walgreens or CVS and, and get like a Pentecost card and give it to your family. You probably, you probably didn't do that. You do that on Mother's Day or even Easter, but you didn't really probably do that today. I, I doubt any, anybody here didn't do that. No, not nobody I know of probably did that. I doubt any of you are going to leave here and go to your family and have a big family dinner and call it your Pentecost dinner. Because for most of us, uh, Pentecost is a way we designate certain kinds of Christians. Because we see it as a denomination or a certain style of worship in the Christian faith. But for the people of God historically and particularly in the New Testament, Pentecost was not something that was just well, you can take it or leave it, celebrate it, not celebrate it. Pentecost was one of three festivals that every Jewish believer had to attend. I mean, it was like you could miss some things, but you don't miss these three. And the first one is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which we call Easter or it's Passover. So it doesn't matter. And remember now, by the time the New Testament's written, Jews are dispersed everywhere. So they're all over North Africa. They're in Libya. They're all across the northern coast of Africa. Some of them are as far south as down into where Sudan would be today and other places. Some of the Jews had been dispersed as far as Turkey, even into, the, into Rome, to the southern part of Europe, Macedonia. There were, there were probably Jewish people there. 
And so three times a year, they would all have to begin. Some of them were down in Egypt. Some of them were in other parts of what today we know as Syria. They would be all over. And they'd have to pack up and on foot and by boat, they'd have to make their journey back to Jerusalem three times a year. They'd have to come for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then they'd come back, or many of them would even just stay over because it was 50 days later, they would have what they called the festival or the Feast of Weeks, Weeks. And the reason they had the Feast of Weeks is because Pentecost does not mean tongues. Pentecost does not mean exuberant worship. Pentecost doesn't mean people to shout. Pentecost means 50. 50, that's what it means, 50. And it's literally 50 days after the resurrection. So for seven weeks and one day, so they'd have seven weeks and then the next day would be on the 50th day, they'd have the celebration of the Feast of Weeks, which is the Feast of Passover, which is the Feast of Pentecost. It also happened in the Old Testament. You remember, you remember when Moses brought them out of Egypt, the night that the, that the Passover took place, he said the, 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 death, the death angel is going to pass through Egypt. If he sees the blood, he'll pass over you. And that night they began to make their escape. And they made their escape, went out through the Red Sea, and the horse and, the, and its rider was thrown into the sea, and they came up into the wilderness. Watch this. And 50 days later, Moses was up on the mountain getting the law of God. So that's why the feast is denoted because God actually gave them instructions for their life on how they were going to live as his people 50 days later. And then the third feast was always called the Feast of, of uh, Booths. We call it the Feast of Tabernacles. So the Feast of Unleavened Bread normally took place in the springtime. Then the Feast of, of, of Weeks, which was the first feast, the Feast of First Fruits, because the harvest was just beginning. They were just beginning to harvest stuff. Like our wheat farmers, they were just beginning to harvest stuff and they would take the first fruits of the harvest and they would wave it before him in a wave offering. You ever heard anybody talk about a wave offering? It would happen right now during the Feast of Weeks. It would happen during this celebration of Pentecost because it was the celebration of the first harvest that was going to take place. That's why on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were born again. It was the first harvest of the kingdom that had now been established in the earth. So, when we recognize the day of Pentecost has his historical significance, we have to also recognize this is a very, very practical truth for us today. It doesn't matter if you're a CEO or if you're a stay-at-home mom. It doesn't matter and you, if you are the stay-at-home mom, the CEO probably lives in your basement. He probably is not yet married and out of the house. But if, I'm just kidding. But if, if you are a high school student, or if you're a grad student, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you are, uh, are a stock uh, room uh, inventory person or if you're a school teacher. Pentecost has significant implications for every one of us. It's so practical. So I'm going to read from Acts chapter 2 beginning in verse number 1. Acts chapter 2 verse number 1. I'm going to read verse number 1 through 4. It says, and when the day of Pentecost had fully come, somebody say fully come. Come on, just say it out loud. Fully come. They were all in one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven 
as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues. The tongues came down and it split in the room when it came. It came as a, as a flame of fire and it split and fell on each one of them. Now listen to me, their hair was not standing up. The wind was not blowing. I'll say that again. It wasn't like all the ladies' hair or the men's hair would have been blown up in the air because they felt, a, a, it says it came like a sound. So the issue was not that, remember the Bible's written in metaphors. They're trying to explain to us what it was like. So they did say it was like a sound of a mighty rushing wind. And then they saw tongues of fire came and split on top of each one of them where they were sitting. And then they were all, somebody say they were all. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you over these next few minutes, give me entrance into men and women's hearts. I pray for people that are watching at home. I pray for everybody in this auditorium that your Spirit will speak to us, teach us, and instruct us today in Jesus' name. Everybody shout amen. 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 So for those of you at home, I hope you're taking notes. Listen to me. Why 50? Why did Jesus say 50 days? Why, did, why, why 50 days? I mean, if I'm Jesus, I'm like, let's get to it, boys. I died on Friday. I was in the grave on Saturday. I rose from the dead on Sunday. Why can't we start the mission on Monday? Come on. There's, the world's lost. Let's get to it. Let's get going. But his instructions to them, if, in order to understand Acts chapter 2, you've got to understand Acts chapter 1. His instructions to them was this. The Bible says in Acts chapter 1 a couple of things. It says that uh, he presented himself alive to them with many infallible proofs. So in other words, one of the reasons he waited 50 days, or he waited 40 days, he ascended on the 40th day, but the reason he waited 40 days is he wanted people to see him multiple times, multiple places. He wanted proof that he had risen from the dead. So the Bible says that all of his disciples had multiple meals with him. Uh, actually, the book of uh, 1 Corinthians tells us that over 500 people record having seen Jesus after he raised from the dead. So he, people touched his hands. They saw the nail prints. They saw his feet. They recognized this is Jesus. This is the guy that Rome killed. He's now alive. So they recognized that he'd been raised from the dead. So one of the reasons for, for these 40 days in between or 50 days is because he wanted to give proof to the reality that he really was alive. For everybody today that's a doubter, Jesus said, I just want to prove to you that I am who I said I am. There's a lot of people died, but nobody I know got up. Amen. Second thing is, in those 40 days, the Bible says, also in that same verse, in verse number 3, it says he spoke to them of things pertaining to the kingdom. So in other words, he was giving them their instructions about how to posture their life, what their attitude should be like, what they should be expecting as the people of God. He was explaining to them, watch this, he was explaining to them that my kingdom is in this world, it's just not of it. In other words, you're going to be people that are of a different kind of kingdom. You're not going to be like everybody else. You need to get prepared that while the rest of the world lives with hatred, you're going to live with love. While the rest of the world tries to hold a fence, I want you to teach you how to be forgiving. While the rest of the world tries to grab all they can and keep all they get, I'm going to teach you how to be giving people. While the rest of the world tries to obtain power by domination, I'm going to teach you how to become great by serving. 
I'm going to teach you the things pertaining to the kingdom. In other words, I want you to know that my kingdom is not like every other kingdom. And then he also says to them this, I want to teach you about what the mission is all about so that when the mission begins, you're going to know how and what you're supposed to do. Listen to me. The, 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 we talk about the church and the kingdom. I want to make sure the gate church understands this. The church and the king, the, people say, well, I'm in church, but I don't know what the kingdom. There's some people in the kingdom and they never get in the church. The two are not to be divided. They actually play to each other. The church always is to reveal the kingdom. The kingdom will always bring you into a relationship with the king. And the king has one mission, and that is to reveal the father. The only way the kingdom shows up in the world is for people who are part of the church in whatever sphere of influence they have to begin to reveal that kingdom. How many of you know it's not important for you to go to work and reveal you're a Baptist or an independent or a non-denominational or a Methodist? Nobody wants to go to church and reveal, go to work and reveal that you're a Pentecostal. What you're supposed to go and reveal is that you're part of a kingdom that's different than the kingdom of everything else going on in your office. I'm not like everybody else. I'm revealing something else. So I'm not revealing to you my preference of worship style. I'm revealing to you the system of operation that I live under because that system brings me into direct relationship to a king. And if I have a king over my life, I have to represent who he is. Amen? And the whole reason that king came, his name is Jesus, is he said, I came so I could reveal the father to the whole world. So that you don't live your life as an orphan, always trying to prove yourself, always trying to perform. So he spoke to them of the things pertaining to the kingdom. And finally, in the reason why these 50 days, the Bible says in verse number four and five, he said, not only did I show myself alive, not only did I teach you about the kingdom, but here's the other reason I, I waited 50 days is he said, because I want you to wait for the promise of the father. Because he said, John baptized you in water to repentance and to forgiveness. But he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit when he comes. Somebody say the promise of the Father. So in other words, Jesus is saying, look guys, I don't want you to get started on this mission until you get what's necessary to accomplish the mission. They totally missed it. Much like, much like church in, in, in our world today, they totally missed it because their next question was, uh, well, Jesus, uh, at that time, will you restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus is like, which part of my teaching about the kingdom that I'm a part of didn't you get? I'm not trying to build an Israeli kingdom. I'm not trying to build an American kingdom. I'm not trying to build a Pentecostal kingdom. So they were saying, Jesus, at that time, will we get to be in power? That's what they were asking. Because you know why? They had been oppressed by the Romans for so many years. They were saying, when do we get to oppress people? That's what they were really asking. When do we get to be on the upper end of the ladder? Come on. How many in this room would be honest enough to admit you have met somebody, maybe in your own family, maybe in your house, uh, maybe even somebody that's in your clothes, 
How many of you ever met somebody that used to be on the low end of the ladder and every time they got promoted, they began to be more and more dominating and condescending to the people that are below them? because they now recognize I'm your boss. I'm the supervisor. You told me what to do for a long time. Now I'm going to tell you what to do. Listen, if your promotion makes you more arrogant, you didn't get it from God. You got it from something else because every time God lifts you up, it should make you more humble because you recognize I couldn't got here by myself. And so Jesus was saying to these guys, guys, I'm not here to set up a kingdom for Israel. I'm here to bring forth my kingdom. I'm here to transcend all the nationalistic and and gender basis and generational things that you've had. I'm going to get above all that because I'm about to pour out my spirit on all flesh, white flesh, black flesh, African flesh, Asian flesh, North American flesh, South American flesh. I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh, men flesh, women flesh. I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh, old flesh, young flesh, middle-aged flesh, millennial flesh. I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. I'm going to transcend all the foolishness that you're locked up in he said and here's what you need to know I want you to go wait don't you try to do this by yourself because Jesus was birthing a movement that was going to demand a new way of doing things he said and here's what I want you to wait for I want you to wait for the promise of the father which I told you and you shall receive power somebody shall power you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. I wish I had three hours. I'm not going to take it because we're intentionally trying to keep our services concise. But listen to me closely. What the church needs in 2020 is not rebranding. The church doesn't need re-imaging. We don't need a new set of stage design. What we need is fresh power, fresh oil, fresh anointing, fresh infusion of the Holy Ghost that allows us to be overcomers and live our life. Is anybody in the room helping me? Somebody at home, you just need to hit a bunch of hearts right there and just say, Bishop, I'm with you. He said, listen, he said, boys, you want to know when you're going to get to do certain things. I'm not interested in the when. I want to tell you how and why. So I want you to understand that the day fully coming is about you receiving power. Now, this is interesting. This is important for the Gate Church family, even for all of you at home. Listen to me closely. He said, and you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The word you in that passage is plural, not singular. He wasn't saying you shall receive power, Jason, after the Holy Spirit's come upon you, Jason. Because the church can never be powerful when one man is anointed and everybody else watches. I didn't get no help on that side. I'm going to go over here. The Holy Spirit is not about three or four people being there. They're the real Holy Ghost people in our church. And the rest of us, we just sort of try to make it along. We're in love with Jesus, but we don't have anything really on our life. He said, no, no, no. If the power is going to be released, it's not going to be released just on one or two people. It's going to be released on everybody. I wonder what would happen at the gate church with everybody from the front row to the back row, from the building to the homes where you're gathering. If everybody experienced an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, of God. I wonder what power would be released in our lives. Because the Holy Spirit, listen, the Holy Spirit coming and being outpoured 
has corporate implications and it has individual implications. Because in Acts 2, on that day, 120 people in the upper room, he then shifts it and says, and they all were filled. Not some, they all. So the indication is what was meant for the corporate body affected everybody individually. Oh, I want to stay here longer than I should. I don't want to go to a church where there's an anointing on the house, but it never gets on me. I don't want to go to a church where God blesses the church, but it never touches my home. So here's what, here's what this whole story is teaching us, that what filled the room eventually filled them. If you're a part of the gate church and we are a church that overcomes, there ought to come a time in your life when you start being an overcomer. If we're a church that's full of love, then there ought to be a time that you become full of love. If we're a church that's full of miracles, there ought to be a time that what fills the room fills your house and fills you individually because he took it from a corporate expression to an individual implication somebody shout power if the church is going to have a future and not a funeral listen to me closely I watched the news this week and I thought in America the church they are writing its obituary Oh, I'm not saying we won't have services. I'm not saying they'll take away our right to worship. I'm just saying we'll be dead in the water. We won't make any difference in our culture. We won't have any effect on the world we've been called to. If we're going to have a future and not a funeral, it's going to happen when we once again experience and live the spirit of Pentecost everywhere we go. He said, I'm going to give you power to overcome. I'm going to give you power to endure. I'm going to give you power to be. To be. See, I, I, I grew up with people teaching this passage, and they would say, well, he's going to give you the power to witness. And they'd say, okay. They'd pray in tongues for a long, like, like an hour, and then they'd run out the front door and just blab something to somebody that's a sinner. And then they'd run back in and say, okay, I did it. I got the power to witness. No, you didn't. You just got in somebody's face and told them something. He didn't say, I'm going to give you the power to do witnessing. He said, I'm going to give you the power to be. To be. I ain't got no help. I'm feeling something from home, though. I feel like I'm getting a lot of like signals at home. What what would happen if maybe you haven't said anything to the people you work with that's that's quoting a Bible verse, but they've been watching your life for the last 12 months, and they keep finding out that you act different than everybody else. When everybody else is afraid about a pandemic, you live in peace. When everybody else is frustrated about finances, you believe God's going to supply everything you need. There's something different about your life. How do you do that? He said, I give you the power to be and he said I'm gonna give you the power to be a witness unto me in other words you're not gonna witness to your great strength and your great ability you witness unto me that it's that I am the source of everything you do and he said when that happens it's gonna affect you in Jerusalem that means it's gonna affect your house It's going to affect your Judea. It's going to affect your city. I'm saying, Oklahoma City, wake up. We're in the middle of a Pentecost. Hallelujah. God is pouring his spirit out in Oklahoma City. He said it's going to affect Samaria. Uh Uh-oh, hold on to your seats. 
He said, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you power to cross racial barriers. Because Samaritans were the half-breeds. They were the untouchables. They were the people where every good Jew never went to their neighborhood. No, no, I don't go, I don't go that part of town. That's, that, that's, that's dangerous. He said, no, 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 not when you get the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit will give you power. You won't be afraid to go into any neighborhood. He said, in fact, it'll empower you to the very last person on the face of the earth. So let me tell you where our challenge is, and I'm going to wrap this thing up. Watch this. We are living at an intersection where here's where we're challenged as believers. We live at an intersection between I can do this and there ain't no way I can do this. That's where Pentecost meets you. Because some people live on this street. I got it. I got this. Don't, don't worry about it. I got it. I can do this. Let me help you. No, you can't. All the single people. I got this. No, 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 you, no, 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 you don't. You think you can marry him. I ain't got no help. I thought every wife in the room would say amen right there. It's going to take the Holy Ghost for you to live with him. You ain't got enough negligees that can get rid of that bad spirit. You may tame it for 30 minutes. That's when you're young. Come on, somebody help me. You know what I'm talking about. So we, <laughs> my wife is at home. I love you, baby. Because if she's sitting here, she'd be going, stop doing it. Listen to me. We all get to that crossroads. I can do this. There ain't no way I can do this. And Jesus was saying to them, don't think you can do this. Because you can't. Not without the Holy Spirit. How many times have I had people look at me and say, man, I'm trying to be a Christian. I'm trying. No, you can't do it. You don't have enough self-discipline to live the Christian life. You can be the most disciplined person I ever met. You don't have enough self-discipline to be a Christian. It takes his spirit to live the Christian life. This ain't about trying harder. It's about receiving more. So his instructions were, wait. Now, you know, when we talked about waiting, when I was growing up, it was, it was called tarrying. We had tarrying meetings. Anybody in here remember those days? I realize I'm older than most people in the room, but is there anybody, anybody remember the tarrying days? You know what I'm talking about? We'd, we'd come tarry. There's some churches, they'd have tarrying services. And you'd tear. You'd come down and act pitiful, and you'd just cry and weep, and 
you'd, you'd moan and you'd lament because you knew you weren't worthy to receive the Holy Ghost. Come on, how many of you know what I'm talking about? You just, oh, God, I'm a worm. Help me, Jesus. I think I thought three years ago about something. I'm not even sure, but I repent of it, Lord. I think, thank God, I'm terrible. And we just, we would tarry. We'd tarry. And, and then, you know, we had people try to get, get us filled with the Holy Spirit. I remember when I was a teenager, we had people, they'd come, they'd come slap you on the front and say, turn it loose, turn it loose. And then they'd slap you on the back and say, hold on, hold on. And I'm, I don't know what I'm turning or loosening. I don't know what I'm doing. And then they'd grab your gully hopper and shake it up and down and go, Aah. and I'd I, I, I almost choke. And they'd go, you almost there, Speak it, speak it, speak it. And I'm like, what am I doing? We don't have to tarry. The Holy Spirit has come. Here's what the title of this message is. It has fully come. The day of Pentecost has fully come. Somebody shout fully come. It's fully come. You say, well, then what is the waiting about for us? Here's the waiting for us. The waiting for us is not that we have to wait to receive. The waiting for us is a posture. It's an attitude of our heart that says, God, I'm not even going to attempt this without acknowledging that I need your Holy Spirit. I'm going to wait before I act to acknowledge that without your Holy Spirit, I can't do this. Ladies and gentlemen, I never walk on this stage. I, this morning, I thought, caught myself again this morning. I never walked from my house until I say these words. I've been doing it for 40 years. I walk out and I make this statement. I stood it right back over here. Holy Spirit, if you don't go with me today, there's nothing I can give these people that will make any difference in their life. You say, well, you act like you don't need to train. No, no, no. I'm not talking about people who don't prepare and just get up and believe that if they open their mouth, God will fill it. That's not what I'm saying. I've got degrees. I read. I'm educated. But I recognize that all of that does nothing to help anybody unless the Holy Spirit shows up in this meeting I have nothing to offer you other than my friendship and my love but when the Holy Spirit shows up cancers disappear depression comes off your life darkness begins to leave understanding begins to come that's why we wait we wait for him to show up and do what we cannot do Hallelujah. So write this down. The greatest deterrent to the fullness of the Spirit in our life is pride. Because basically sin and pride says this. I got this. I got this. Humility and desire will always say, I need you, Holy Spirit. Write these down quickly and I'm done. Come on, Ashley. Come on, team. Sarah, if you'll just begin to play for me. Listen, four things I want you to hear about when the full day has come in your life. Here's four things that will happen. First of all, it says, and they were all filled. They were all filled completely. They weren't partially filled. They were totally filled. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. The problem with our tradition that the gate church comes from is that we think only in terms of tongues. That if you spoke in tongues at some point in time in your life, then you're full of the Spirit. Now, I know people that have spoken in tongues and they're full of the devil. 
some of the meanest people I ever met in my life. Spoke in tongues, then told somebody off, then got in their car and turned on worship music and spoke in tongues again. It's two signs. The Bible says there's two things you'll know when people become full of the Spirit. Acts 1.8 says you'll, be, you'll receive power. In other words, there'll be a supernatural capacity or a supernatural enablement that'll come on your life. Another thing that happens in Romans chapter 5, verse number 3, he says, here's how you know the Holy Spirit's been poured out. He said, because the love of God will be shed abroad in our life. The love of God shed abroad in our life. So watch this. When you're full of the Spirit, you receive divine capacity and you receive divine character. You begin to act like Jesus. Paul told the church in Philippians 3, 3, Paul could have, listen, there's nobody in the New Testament that could have trusted his background more than Paul. He was trained as a Pharisee. He, was, he went to the Harvard of his day. He was an intellectual. And here's what he said in Philippians 3, 3. He said, for those of us who are of the circumcision, in other words, those of us who grew up in my tradition of being a Jew, he said, we have had to learn that we worship by the Spirit of God. We don't worship out of tradition. We worship out of the Holy Spirit. Do you know what? The Bible says nobody can even call him Lord without the Holy Spirit being operative in your life. So every time you lift your voice and you begin to say, Jesus, you're Lord, it's the Holy Spirit wanting to worship through you because the Holy Spirit desires to worship. If there's no worship coming up out of your life, it could be a sign that your tank is empty. Because Paul said, here's what I learned. We who have the circumcision, we worship by the Spirit of God. And everything that happens in our life, we glorify or we give glory to Jesus. And then look at his last statement. Here's the one that I want everyone to see. And we put no confidence in the flesh. I don't trust my gift. I don't trust my talent. I don't trust my education. That's not where my confidence is. That's all stuff that are just tools. My confidence is in the Holy Spirit who lives in me. Second thing he said is this. He said faith was activated. When, you're, when the day has fully come, your faith will be activated. It says, and they began to speak with tongues. Notice what it says. It didn't say the Holy Spirit spoke in tongues. It says they began. God didn't put a linguistics machine in their mouth and make them speak in tongues. He's not, he doesn't make us Christian robots. All of you Spanish speakers, all of you French speakers, all of you that speak other languages, you, you don't have to be forced to do it. You just, you make a choice. I'm going from this language to that language. Literally what happened is that day they begin to hear other languages and they just by faith begin to speak what they were hearing. They didn't struggle to do that. We've been so programmed that we might get a devil that we never activate faith. 
because we've been programmed to believe that through tradition, religious tradition in America, that if you pray in tongues, that's already over. The Bible's come. No reason for you to speak in tongues. So if you pray in tongues, you, you really might, you better be careful. You might get a demon in there somewhere. And here's what Jesus said. If you ask my father for a piece of bread, will he give you a stone? And if you ask, it's the promise of the father. If you ask him for the Holy Spirit, will he give you something that's demonic? I think not. I think the real key is I got to activate my faith. They began. They had to step in faith. If you're going to live full of the Spirit today, you're going to have to step in faith. It's not just faith for spiritual language. It's faith for everything. Because sometimes when people have offended me, I have to forgive them by faith. You say, well, I don't feel like it right now. Well, guess what? If you act by faith, the feelings come. But if you live by your feelings, faith may never come. So you act by your faith and your feelings show up. People that are full of the Spirit, when the full day comes, faith is activated. How many of you know they got mocked? Some of you say, I don't want to say that weird stuff. I'm not interested in that. I know some of you are probably thinking, why did I bring my guest today? No, listen. I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit doesn't make you supernatural. He doesn't make you super weird. It makes you superly supernatural. It makes you really supernatural. When you operate in the power of the Spirit, you're not weird. You operate naturally, having been superpowered. He makes you supernaturally natural. And he makes you naturally supernatural. Ooh, I ain't got time to go back and all that anyway. So they were all filled. That's one, of, that's one of the things that happens when the day fully comes. I want the gay church to be filled. They activated their faith. And then fruitfulness began. The Bible says immediately, Peter, a man who 50 days earlier was living in fear because he denied Jesus that he even knew him. He was intimidated by a slave girl, this big rugged fisherman, coward in the face of a slave girl. I wonder how many people here have spent some part of your life cowering in the face of something. Maybe it wasn't a slave girl saying, you're, you're a follower of Jesus. Maybe it was a habit. Maybe it was a porno habit. Maybe it was an addiction. Maybe it was a generational curse. And every time it shows up, you cower in front of it. But here's all of a sudden on the day of Pentecost, after being filled and after activating his faith, this man that was a coward stood up. The Bible says, and Peter stood up with the 12. And he said, no, no, these men are not drunk as you suppose, seeing it's only the third hour. This is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And he preaches his first sermon right then and there. Boom. Fruitfulness began in his life. And when he finished preaching, 3,000 people came to Christ. I wonder, could it be that some of the things we've been asking God to let us be fruitful in, that fruitfulness has not shown up 
not because we don't love Jesus, but it's because we sort of have kept our plan B in the back pocket and said, God, if, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to let you, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to dabble around with this Holy Spirit thing, but in case not, I got my, I got my bank account. I got my degree. I got my, I got my friendships and I'm going to trust you and them. And maybe God's saying, why don't you let go of plan B and just trust my plan A? Do you realize in that upper room, there was only 120 people. Jesus trusted the planet to 120 people full of the Holy Spirit. You and I are sitting here today because those 120 believed him. If they hadn't believed him, we wouldn't be here today. What fruitfulness will happen in your life if you just believe the day of Pentecost has fully come? It's mine. Stand with me. If you're at home, I want you just to get ready. Just a moment, please. Everybody stay with me because I'm going to pray a prayer for you. I'm going to release an anointing on you right where you are. I want you to hear this today. Just a moment. We'll, we'll receive our offering in just a moment. So I know you'll get ready to give. But here's what I want you to do. If you're at home, if you're sitting or standing, I just want you to open your hands. I want you to open your hands in a position, a posture of receptivity all across the auditorium. Would you just open your hands this way? Because you're getting ready to receive. God, I'm getting ready to receive. I'm getting ready to receive. Here's the ABCs of being filled. You ask. You believe. You confess that you receive. And when you do, the Bible declares God will begin to, re to pour out his spirit in your life. So I just want to pray this prayer. And we're going to ask. We're going to believe. And we're going to confess. I receive. In Jesus' name. Father, I thank you today that the promise of the Father is for every person that's a Christ follower today. I thank you that every person that's a Christ follower has been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. And your blood has made them worthy to receive every gift you have for them. Everything you've promised them is theirs today. And I'm asking you now in the name of Jesus. According to your word, you said the promise of the Father is for all of us. You said we could all receive the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, with upturned hands today, with a place of receptivity, we ask you. Come on, just ask him. Lord, we ask you, fill me with the Holy Spirit. Fill me till I overflow. Fill me today with the fullness of God. Fill me today with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Overflow my cup today. Lord, I believe that I'm qualified to receive, and I believe today that, Jesus, you're going to baptize me in the Holy Spirit. And, Lord, I confess now that I receive in the name of Jesus. Come on, just make that declaration. I confess now I receive by the power of God. I receive by the anointing of God. I receive by the fullness of God's provision for me in Christ. 
that all things that you've made available to me are mine. Today I'll live by the power of the Holy Spirit. Come on, you just need to, you need to make that declaration. I'm going to live by the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit that's in my life. I'm not going to try to do this on my own. I'm not going to trust my flesh. I'm going to trust the power of the Holy Ghost. I'm going to trust the power of the Spirit to be a, a spouse, a husband, or a wife. I'm going to trust the power of the Holy Spirit to be a mom, a dad. I'm going to trust the power of the Holy Spirit to help me on my job, to help me work, to fulfill my purpose in life. I trust you, Holy Spirit. I'm thanking you today that you're filling me till I overflow. And now I activate my faith. Come on. If you hear a language on the inside, you need to begin to speak it forth. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, like a mighty river, let it flow up from within you. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Receive. 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 Receive the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus.